How's it going? It's going. I played this when I had a piece of food in my mouth, but it's fine, Rachel. Well, Keep going. I mean, everybody loves hearing you with your mouth full, so it's fine. I mean, what is it called? Masticating when you chew food? What's it called? Is that it? Yeah. Well, that's what cows do when they chew food and swallow it. You're calling me a cow? Regurgitate. Okay. <laughs> You're the one who said masticating, not me. It's fine. Um, It's been since the last time we recorded since we've seen each other. Isn't that news? Yeah. Wow, we're bad friends. <laughs> <laughs> We've had um life like, has happened. Both of us have had a lot going on. Um <sighs> <laughs> No, I'm just gonna take a breath. No, that explains it completely. <sighs> um January's been a shit show, I think, yeah. for both of us. Yeah. Um I was supposed to fly to Sacramento to visit my family, and that did not happen because of COVID. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, um, my my uncle got COVID. I'm oh. hoping he'll be able to hear this one day. I was gonna say, is he good? He's still hospital. He's doing better. Okay, good. So yeah, my uncle was hospitalized. Um, I believe he's still in ICU. But the last I heard from my aunt, which was a few days ago, his breathing was better. Better. His breathing was better. Was better. So um. <clears throat> Good. I believe they're going to try to take him off the respirator and just kind of see how he did overnight. Um, yeah. And I, they haven't heard anything since then, so it's it's still kind of a waiting game. But good prognosis so far. I was going to say, I would hope so. that if you haven't heard anything, it means it's going well. It, yeah. <laughs> um, I try not to – I know my aunt is fielding all these questions from everybody. So yeah, you I don't want to inundate her with – Yeah, I try to check in every few days. Um <clears throat> I got a COVID test two weeks in a row myself. <laughs> Do you, you know, I woke up this morning. So I, last night my throat started hurting. And then this morning my throat was hurting really bad. And I woke up like coughing like more awfully than awfully than normal. And I was like, I swear to God, if I'm going to have to call Rachel and tell her not to come, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> well, what did you end up doing? I just got better. Oh, it was okay. just, it was one of those. I was run down and my body was yeah. like, fuck you. I think that's what it was for me. Um, I will say <laughs> Walgreens is really nice. So COVID tests are covered by insurance now. Yeah. Um, and you can literally just do like the drive through, just schedule an appointment. Yeah. If you need I think, to. I think I can get them through work too. Well, you can also uspostalservice.com. You can order your four free kits. Maybe that was what I saw at work. <laughs> yeah. I would definitely do it. Yeah. Just to have it, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't worried about it being COVID because I figured it was either allergies or you never stress know. Or <laughs> <laughs> you never know. So yeah, it's, it's kind of at a point now. I I have physical interactions with people in my life that I, if I'm starting to feel sick, I get tested just to be sure. Yeah. Um, I don't hang out with anyone but you. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's been it's been a little rough, but we are here. It's been one week. <laughs> It's just been a year and a month. <laughs> but yeah, a year and a month. <laughs> a year and a month. Um, that's a good. That's a good. But how are you? Because I haven't seen you in a month. So 
Oh, great. I just don't function outside of work anymore. It's fine. <laughs> you just got a lot yeah. going on. Thor's <laughs> work back. is controlling my life. Yeah, Thor's back. He's Thor's sleeping here. right he's now. By our feet. Part of my stress. <laughs> he gave me a hug when I got here. Yeah, he's doing a lot better, which I'm happy about. But he's still got a lot of a lot of work. Which is a lot of work for you. Yeah. yeah. On top of my work, on top of my training, on top of everything. <laughs> so life has been just just if you're out there listening and you're um you're going through a hard time right now. Just know you're not alone. Yeah, you're not. We're all feeling it. We're... We started right away with Therapy Treehouse. I love yep. it. <laughs> Sometimes you need to just talk it out. Right? Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but we are, we're struggling with you and we're doing our best to make it through as well. Um, but uh, we I'm have... I'm kind of excited for a random question because I think that's going to tie in. With you didn't intro. pick one. I did. I just didn't tell you. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, so before we get into it really quick, I also wanted to mention Spotify now let you rate podcasts yeah just let you review not yeah i didn't see that but <laughs> if you i know we have quite a few listeners on spotify so again help us get the word out yeah go on your spotify app on your phone and ideally give us five stars yeah, yeah. no it's it's mandatory <laughs> yeah it is mandatory five stars are five nothing. stars or go but don't go maybe like press play and then don't listen i don't know <laughs> but um so I'm I'm just gonna jump straight into it because it's a long episode. Did you uh did you introduce us? Oh shoot. No, I didn't. <laughs> you are listening to Difficult Damsels. Woo! I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. This is a podcast about badass women from history. Told to you by two very difficult damsels. <laughs> Who don't have their shit together. No, that's but why it's we're okay. <laughs> and um we are we are on episode 31. This is Catherine de Medici, part two. If you didn't catch on, there's a part one. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. Yeah, or you're going to be confused. Otherwise, you're just going to be confused with me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, do you even remember it? We'll find out soon enough. Um, so, I'm hoping you'll give me, like, cue-ins. Well, um, when we last left off, Catherine's father-in-law, Francis I, the King of France, was finally ready to depart from this mortal realm. But before he bid adieu to the world, he left his son and the future king of France with some hard wisdom. And the kid that he abandoned? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that part, clearly. <laughs> he said, do not let the women in his life, specifically his favorites, control him, as Francis I had previously done with Madame de Etat, and to beware the Guise family. They were power-hungry and grasping and not to be trusted. And our boy was like, fuck you, Dad. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but this time, the one time he should have listened to the dumbass. The one time. The one time, man. The one time that the dude who was like, I made a lot of mistakes and here they are. The one time he should have listened, he did not. <laughs> Correct. Nope, not at all. No. Catherine de' Medici herself is 28 years old and she is now the queen of France. And she is pregnant again. Oh, yeah. Because, no, it was definitely fucking retard's fault. What's his name? I don't remember his name. Henry. Yep, that's his name. I, I figured it was Henry, but I was like, I'm probably wrong. Well, it's probably mean, Richard. You also, I, no, that's England. <laughs> you also remember she had like a crap ton of kids in a short amount of time. Yeah, but it was his fault. Well, I'm, I mean, not his fault. It was her fault. <laughs> but, I mean, it takes two to tango. Yeah, but he wasn't tangoing. Well, for like the first 10 years. What did, then, we, what did we say last episode? Like, you have to introduce the duck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then you poor, have to use the duck. Poor Francis's duck. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, pretty much fell off towards the end. Shit. No way. No, but I mean he had like a disgusting abscess. Oh, yeah. 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 
God damn it. Likely it was chlamydia that he died of. Yeah. Anyway, back to our story. Sorry. So when Henry the yeah. second Henry. Henry. Oh, here's another another warning I'm gonna give you. Um, there are a lot of Henry's in this. Hold more, on. More Let's Francis's. all be surprised together. Let's more, collectively. Oh, okay, more Francis's. Francis's. A couple of Marys. So if you get confused. Can someone throw a Rebecca in there or something? I don't know. <laughs> no Rebecca's. If you get confused, stop me and be like, who is that again? I hope you know that I'm like default confused all the time. So oh, oh I, I'm going to have a breakdown again for you. <laughs> but yeah. So when Henry came to the throne. One of his first acts was to promptly boot his father's mistress, Madame de Tomp, from court. She would live out the rest of her days in peaceful anonymity. Once in power, the people of France quickly observed how unlike his father Henry was. Francis had been foolishly extravagant and well-known for his many affairs. Henry was notoriously contemplative, choosing to thoughtfully mull over his decisions rather than act rashly. Once he did decide on something, though, there was no changing his mind. Oh, that's good and bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take him to mull? A while. Okay. So, it, like, an, it, an inappropriate amount of time. For I would the say, I would say, probably an appropriate amount of time, just okay. but compared to his father, he very much. Yeah, his father was like, give my kids away so I can come back. <laughs> his father didn't think at yeah, all. Yeah, no, there was no thinking yeah. there. <laughs> Catherine's relationship with Henry changed very little. She was the queen of France in name, but endless pregnancies kept her busy, and Henry remained ever besotted with Diane de Poitiers. Endless pregnancies kept her busy. Well, yeah. <laughs> She's got to waddle around yeah. and like tend to... Me too, but I'm not pregnant. <laughs> in time, Diane demanded the same official title that Madame de Etamps had previously employed, and so she too becomes known as Madame. Now in the role of the official mistress to the king, Diane's true colors finally started to show themselves. For the duration of Henry's reign, she would grasp for more and more power, requesting various estates and wealth to satisfy her voracious appetite for status and power. Wow. And Henry was all too happy to oblige. Did Henry not stop to think like, huh, weird. No. She keeps asking for things. Like He was like, of course I'm going to give it to you. You're the love of my life. Oh, also, I have a wife. <laughs> but it's fine. Who's different from you? It's different. It's different. <laughs> Henry also made sweeping changes of political positions across the court, firing many of his father's cabinet members and replacing them with his friends, which is typical anytime a new king yeah. comes to power. Um, <laughs> we get that at work, too. We get regime changes and we're all like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Who are you? <laughs> and now it is time to introduce these new players as they will play important roles in the Game of Thrones we're about to play. Oh, God, you were so excited when you wrote that, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so the first of King Henry's allies is Anne de Montmorency. Anne is um, a dude. Oh, I was... God damn it, you ruined it. I was, so, I was like, his first ally is a woman? <laughs> Hell yeah, I kind of... Just kidding, I hate him again. Just... Montmorency, just remember that name. So he is granted the title of Constable of France. Named Anne? Anne de Montmorency. Yes. It's a French thing. All right. All right. So Montmorency <laughs> would go on to serve five different kings in his lifetime, but rose to power during the reign of Henry's father. After the two had a falling out, Francis exiled Montmorency from court, and he would remain exiled until Henry came to power himself 
and requested that his old friend take up his old office as constable, along with naming him the president of the King's Privy Council. I was going to say, what did he do? He's like, anyone who my father hated, I'd like you come back. Yes, <laughs> yes, pretty much. Nine times out of ten, you're great, and my father was an ass. So this makes Montmorency second only after the king himself when it comes to the to military affairs and running the day-to-day affairs of the kingdom. You can kind of think of him as being the hand of the king. Okay. This power eventually goes to Montmorency's head and will annoy the whole of the French court. But Henry trusted him wholeheartedly for the duration of his reign. He is impossibly arrogant and obnoxious, but he is also very, very good at his job. So basically, anytime you talk about this, dude, I'm going to think of Peter Dinklage. Is that his name? Uh, for Tyrion? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm going to think of now. Kind <laughs> of, yeah. Because he was hand of the king. Yeah, well, and um, he's obstinate and yeah. arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, here we are. I'm sure he's probably not a midget, but I'm going to think of him as Peter Dinklage because Peter Dinklage. That's is totally awesome. fine. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah. I'm good with here that. Here we are. <laughs> okay, we also have the Guise family. So you can think of the Guise family as the Tyrells. Oh, okay. Yes. So there's two. Well, there's like four. Okay, so. I was like, there's two families <laughs> that have the Guise name? Because there's, stop. There's several no. people in the Guise family oh. who are going to like dominate this episode. Cool. So there's Francois, who is the Duke of Guise. He is so much for just, just his name is Francois. Get used to the name Francois, okay? <laughs> He's the head of the family. Okay. You can think of him as being Charles Brandon to Henry II's Henry VIII. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> just his bestie. Okay, no. His bestie. His bestie, okay. Um the king immediately But is he like his bestie and he was actually smart about it or no. Great. <laughs> <laughs> the king immediately promoted him to Duke of Amal, giving Francois an immense amount of power and invited him to join the Privy Council as master of the royal hunt. I'm sorry. He immediately was like, my dad said not to trust you, so I'm going to trust <laughs> he trusts you. trusts all of them. <laughs> um, you also, what you need to know about the Duke of Guise is he is a huge war hero. He's one of the main military dudes. Okay. okay. So like literally the same as... Uh... Charles Brandon? I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> sort, of. sort of. This guy more. He's like in charge oh. of the military. Okay. Okay. Um, you also have Francois's brother, Charles, who was named the Cardinal of Lorraine. I'm sorry, didn't you already say there was a char no, okay. We're good. There's gonna be more Charles. <laughs> it's gonna be a couple. Shit. Anyway, he is the Cardinal of Lorraine and he is invited to join the Privy Council as well. Okay. They also have an uncle on the council. Stop! Just bring back one geese. Meaning there are three members. Over. Of the Guise family making decisions for the whole of the realm. Also, Francois oh. and Charles have a sister named Mary of Guise, who recently became the widowed queen of King James V of Scotland and the regent for her infant daughter, Mary Stuart. Hey. AKA Mary Queen of Scots. Hey. I just love will be in this episode. I just love how Henry's like, hey dad, fuck you. I hope you're rolling yes. over in your grave. Not one, not two, but three, four. Um, you already know Diane de Potier. She's very much involved in the decision-making too. Yep. Um, if you are wondering what Catherine thought of Diane herself, there are a couple of letters from Catherine that survived to this day. And in one she wrote, if I made good cheer for Madame de Valentinos, it was like her last name. Oh, okay. It was the king that I was really entertaining. And besides, I always let him know that I was acting sorely against the grain, for never did a woman who loved her husband succeed in loving his whore. Whoa. <laughs> yes, we get a lot of Damn letters from girl. Catherine. I like it. Yes. I mean, it's not wrong. 
Diane de Poitier was quick to recognize the rising star of the Guise family and marries one of her daughters to a younger brother of Charles and Francois. She's casting her lot with them. Yep. Is that going to end badly for her? No. She, she was kind of smart. She, she used her children to like go in different alliances. So no matter what she was covered, I mean, smart, but just like gross. Yeah. Yeah. Despicable. From the very beginning, factions formed quickly. We have the arrogant but formidable Constable Montmorency on one side who used his office to improve France to the best of his ability. Then we have the ever-fertile and ambitious Guise family and Diane on the opposite side, utilizing their newfound influence to improve their own positions in court. Catherine will remain mostly passive during the early years of her husband's reign, careful not to choose one side over the other and maintaining the civil neutrality she became known for during Francis's reign. Yeah, she's smart. She is strategic. She's like... But she will flip sides if it is to the benefit of her, as we're going to find out. Yeah, she's watching and waiting. (laughs) The other family, you need to keep in mind, they're not going to be important (laughs) now, but during the latter half of the episode, they are very important. And in the rest of it. Okay, so this is the Bourbon family. So they are the most senior princes of the blood due to their familial relation to Henry. They are his cousins. Okay, I'm really so, glad to explain that because I'm like, that sounds weird. <laughs> so when it comes to the line of succession, the Bourbon family comes after Henry and Catherine's children. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. So they've got chips on their shoulder. Well, they just, they're, they're close to the royal family, which means technically they are entitled to certain positions. Okay. And should anything happen to the kids, they would be next in line to the throne. Should anything happen in hard quotation marks? Jesus. Um, <laughs> Should I worry about these kids? I mean, oh, no. yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Henry grants lands and titles to all his friends, the Bourbon's position in court at this point is ever shrinking. Jesus, Izzy. <laughs> but they're still around on the you periphery. You should definitely read that. Nope, we're that. keeping that. Okay. <laughs> Izzy's like, fuck your podcast. <laughs> so there's two names on um within the bourbon family that we need to keep in mind for later so the first is antoine de bourbon who was the king of navarre oh get your phone out okay I hate when you there's pictures around. well so the I kingdom not do it i'm just kidding <laughs> the kingdom of navarre is this tiny little kingdom that's wedged between the kingdoms of castile aragon and france so it's literally like on the edge of spain and france i'm really happy that i know all those names you just said <laughs> i know because of all the other stuff we've done isn't that cool yeah I feel smart. I've been rewatching Vikings and um, they got to the part where they were talking about Constantinople and also the Roos Vikings. And I was like, I know the Roos Vikings yes. now. Can you not eat that? That's mine. It's just that you're <laughs> causing trouble. Trouble? Trouble. <laughs> anyway, so as you're looking up your map, basically yep. Antoine de Bourbon. Yes, and that's the little kingdom right there. Oh, it's so cute. So hey. Cute. It's this interesting kingdom that's like both French and Spanish. Oh my god, it's like literally like wedged between all three. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a um, little part of the is it the ocean? Or is it just not a continent? It's just it's it's just poor thing. Okay. Southwest it's between like southwest France and like northeast Spain. <laughs> anyway, so Antoine is very yeah, aware this whole story. Help! Help! <laughs> <laughs> Antoine is very aware of his position and open, and he's very openly entitled. 
but he's also kind of a pacifist and a pushover. Ew. The other one to worry about is his younger brother named Louis de Bourbon, the Prince of Condé. Um, so where Antoine is passive, Louis is more ambitious. His rank as a lesser prince of the blood. So basically his brother also has a son. Oh so God, Louis so falls. Yes, I know. About <laughs> basically, his rank as a lesser prince of the blood means he feels a greater need to find something that gives him a greater purpose in life. That'll make sense more later in the episode. Okay. I mean, me too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the middle child. <laughs> I want that to be one of our random questions. Is it more dangerous to be passive or aggressive? Or passive aggressive. <laughs> ah, middle ground. It's more dangerous to be aggressive because, well, you'll find out. Like, no, Antoine yeah, is more harmless. dangerous to be passive because, like, mm-hmm. you can be manipulative and passive. You can ask yourself that at the end of this episode. How's that? I'm asking myself right, that right now. And I'm going to be distracted <laughs> the whole time. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, back to Catherine. Sorry. <laughs> so as Queen of France, Catherine is afforded her own share of favors and gifts from the king. Though all the sources remark on how paltry it is in comparison to the gifts that Diane received. Yeah, all he does is like, here, take my duck so we have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these gifts included an allowance of 200,000 livres. For Catherine livers? or for Diane? Livres. Livers. <laughs> I can never say it. Catherine. Okay. <laughs> and the Chateau de Tourneau, among other castles. Is it pretty? Is it this one? No, that one. She was famously cheated out of the Chateau de Chenassau, <laughs> which is that one. Um, that castle is given to Diane. And Catherine was pissed because she wanted it. Yeah. So I'm the asshole that like in this time, not nowadays, I would never do this nowadays. <laughs> But in the back in the day, if I was uh, alive, I would have been like, mm, that castle is about to get burned to the ground. So, spoiler alert, Henry does eventually die, right? So What? Just kidding. <laughs> when he dies, um, of course, Diane gets booted. And Fuck the you. first thing Catherine does is take that castle back. It's mine. And she renovates it. So, I guess it. it's a good thing she didn't so, burn it. So, all those, that bridge over the water this it's beautiful the residence residences um catherine did that and then she added these gardens Ooh. yeah <laughs> yes she was she was pissed though she was like i wanted that castle <laughs> well i mean she's got a lot of things to be pissed off for right now so right um catherine's family specifically the strozzi family also enjoyed various elevated positions in the french military this was so that they could be utilized later when Henry picked up his father's previous campaign to reclaim territory in Italy. When you say Catherine's family. Her cousins. Okay. I was like, Remember, I she's Italian. She was an orphan. She is, but she has cousins. That's beside <laughs> the point. <laughs> so she uses her position to advance them because, okay. um, do you remember she... Where were these cousins when she was getting kidnapped? They, they, they weren't that powerful. That's why she's helping them. <laughs> As Queen of France, <laughs> Catherine... I'm driving you crazy and it makes me happy. It's, it's going to be a long episode. It's fine. <laughs> you did this to yourself. <laughs> um, so Catherine finally begins to flourish in her own right. And in time, she too develops her own small following. Chief among her supporters were Italian exiles, most of whom were collateral from the wars in Italy fought by Spain and France. She would later call on them for money when her husband help- needed help funding his military campaigns. Which was often. <laughs> God. Catherine's Italian influence slowly made its way through the French court as well, as she was known to bestow her patronage on Italian artists and seamstresses. Mm. 
She was also said to coax Italian poets away from the Italian Renaissance cities to help bring some levity and culture to the notoriously stuffy French court. She's like, please help me. These guys don't even know what poetry is. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Oh my gosh. (laughs) As for the role she would play in running in the running of the country, it remained largely limited. Henry would eventually pick up the ambitions his father had before him, wishing for both glory and revenge in Italy. And during these Italian campaigns, um, he essentially leaves her as his regent back in France. In the early years, she really doesn't have that much power. She's just kind of like, the king would want this. But later on, that changes. Over time, Catherine would attain a reputation for having a deep interest in both religion and the occult. Ooh. Catherine was a fervent practicing Catholic and had a particular love for the ritualistic practices of the Catholic religion. But she also indulged in a curiosity towards astronomy and astrology. Not only only did she have several books on the subject matter, but she also had one of those cool little astrological cosmos wheels with the rotating discs. Hell yeah. Yeah. I want one. She was also known to employ her own astrologers, who she would consult with regarding the births of her children and important events in her life. Catherine also kept several religious-based talismans with her. One especially dark talisman was said to contain human blood, goat's blood, and metals corresponding to the signs in her navel chart. That's kind of cool. The, the stones part, not the goat's blood part. No, not Or the human blood. I'm totally okay with the human blood. It's probably... <laughs> Who's they probably blood? deserved it. It's Who's blood? Honestly, it's probably Henry's. He's like sleeping and she's like, just hold on. <laughs> <laughs> she was also said to have the gift or curse of prophetic dreams, some of which were allegedly corroborated by her own family members. That's cool. According to their testimony, she would wake in the middle of the night screaming, having dreamed of the death of a family member. And to add to the myth, these nightmares supposedly came true. That's so creepy. My mom and I have those sometimes. Like, we'll have weird dreams. And it's, like, more like, not like we know what happened, but we have a feeling about each other. So, like, I'll call her and be like, hey, just be really fucking careful and pay attention when you're driving today. And she said, and, like, both of us have, have noticed that, like, that yeah. actually like helps. Like we almost die of them because we were paying more attention. Yeah, yeah. You should always pay attention, <laughs> but like we're paying yeah. more aggressive attention. <laughs> what does that look like? It's very weird. <laughs> Eyes bulging out of the head. I'm just kidding. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, Don't make it weird. <laughs> Catherine also had an eclectic following of people in her employ, including a perfumier named Matra 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 Renee. Let me see. Where is it? Your hands in the way. Sure. <laughs> I tried. I even practiced it online and I was like, nope. Maitre. Anyway, so he. Say it, Maitre. Maitre. Maitre Renee. That's really wrong, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, he was an alchemist known for his potions and his poisons. And later in life, he would gain notoriety for his poison gloves that would be used on people who had allegedly displeased Catherine. Yes, poison gloves? Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, back to, like, not the poison story. <laughs> Yeah. So, as would be expected of the new king and queen of France, both had to undergo a coronation. Henry's coronation occurred oh, first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Catherine, this is what kings and queens do. Like, whoever's getting the coronation, the other has to, like, hide away behind in a box. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Like, I was there. 
<laughs> from the White Queen. Everyone calm down. Yes. I'm not a vampire. No. <laughs> Part of the oaths included in the king's coronation was to uphold the Christian faith. We've mentioned this before, but the French king had long been dubbed the most Christian of kings by the church. Is it Christian to have a mistress? This, <laughs> right over that one. this title, and we're going to talk about that later. Oh shit, that was great. This title meant that France and the Catholic Church were closely allied. Part of his oath included the promise to expel all heretics, heretics being Protestants. At this point in time, there are a couple of Christian sects that have broken away from the papal-controlled Roman Catholic Church. The two main groups at this point are the Lutherans and the Calvinists. Our takeaway here is this. Henry has made an oath to uphold the tradition of Roman Catholicism as the official religion of France and pledges to prosecute Protestant reformers in his country. Great. We're, we're going to get into it. So he's starting off as a strong asshole. <laughs> Great. He, they're all assholes. He's like, I'm ignoring everything my dad said, which is like, <laughs> okay, but also, mm. <laughs> and then I'm going to be an asshole and target people just because they believe something different than me. That's blah, everything Catherine de Medici. That's her whole story. We're starting now. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we do that, Catherine's coronation oh, yeah. <laughs> also had to occur. So that came a couple of months later. Why the fuck can't they be coronated together? That She's pregnant. Uh, what the fuck? She was cares? heavily pregnant. Like, like he, about to pop? Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh, look, so, who cares if she's pregnant? So this was a very extravagant and lavish affair. Um, so I'm surprised anyone her dress. Like, Go do it in the closet. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, they spent a lot of money yes. on this. Like they always spend more money on the queen usually. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so the bodice of her gown it had precious gemstones, including diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and pearls, sewn into it. Her cloak was green blue velvet and embroidered in gold with the French fleur de lis pattern. And her mantle was once again lined with the white ermine fur that you see in all coronation processions. Is that a picture or no? No, we had it in the last one. Oh. You've seen it. You remember the white queen, like her outfit with the yeah the white trim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember the ermine fur is something we don't want to talk yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> 200 men of the king's household led the procession, followed by chevaliers of the royal court. Walking directly in front of Catherine was Constable Montmorency, holding the Grand Master's baton, and then Catherine herself was flanked by two cardinals and the two most senior princes of the blood. So that would be Antoine That's and Louis. I know, right? <laughs> I love saying it. <laughs> they were carrying the train of her cloak. Behind them came the important ladies of the court. And yes, Diane was among them. Ew! <laughs> Fuck off and be like, bitch, this is my day. You wait in the closet. <laughs> So once Catherine arrived at the Abbey, she was greeted with her throne on an elevated platform covered in gold cloth, with her initials embroidered in the gold thread on blue velvet. Catherine then knelt before the high altar and kissed it before taking her seat on the throne. It was then that Cardinal de Bourbon, some other bourbon, <laughs> stepped forward to anoint her forehead and chest with holy water. He placed a ring on her finger to signify her marriage with France, and then a scepter was placed in the other hand. You know what this looks like. You've seen it in, yeah. like, every Everything. show that has a coronation. Yeah, it looks like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Catherine was at last the Queen of France, a title that granted her a stability that no king's mistress would ever fully enjoy. But Henry still made sure that Diane was not left out because he had officially elevated her to the status of Duchess before the ceremony. Ew. So that she would get her own seat of honor near Catherine during the coronation. Fuck you, bro. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Literally. He's not great. <laughs> now, I know the- you tried really hard to make me like em- empathize. empathetic. Yeah, but like I can't. I can't either. Like, your dad was an asshole, but like you're taking the crown from his head and putting it on your own head. <laughs> Of assholery. The crown of assholery is now on your head firmly. Now the beginning double coronation. (laughs) Now the beginnings, we shouldn't laugh now. The beginnings of the religious unrest that would later go on to dominate Catherine's reign started to pop up shortly after the coronation. Henry had heard there were heretics being held in the same town that Catherine's coronation was taking place in and so he called to have one brought before him so that he might question him oh no the catholic dominated council brought a simple tailor to henry anticipating his humble birth meant that he would be humble of speech as well but when this man spoke of his faith he ended up moving the court diane who had been a fervent catholic and unapologetically anti-protestant tried to egg the man on with her own questioning to which he remarked the following Madame, rest satisfied having corrupted France, and do not mingle your filth with a thing so sacred as the truth of God. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. So, one of the major issues this new Protestant faction had with Roman Catholicism was the corruption they witnessed within the church. (laughs) Specifically, the idea that church members could be bought off by the nobility, and also that the nobles themselves were claiming to be faithful Christians in public, but behaving sinfully behind closed doors. I'm trying really hard not to say shit. <laughs> <laughs> Henry and Diane's relationship was a perfect example of this, as he basically flaunted yeah. his adultery for the whole world to see. Yeah. 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 So yes, people had a problem with Fuck. that. <laughs> Henry was so enraged by the insult to his mistress that he made sure to be present during the man's execution, where he was burned at the stake for heresy Bro, the next day. that is your problem you're so mad about your fucking adulterous fucking fiance whatever the fuck she is <laughs> mistress that oh my god okay i'm calm i'm back that execution allegedly left quite an impression on henry and was said to haunt him for the duration of his reign good motherfucker you should be haunted so basically as the man was burning he refused to scream and instead stared at henry the entire time oh fuck Yep. Henry saw that in his dreams of yep. night after night, and it makes me so happy. So this would be the policy Henry would carry out in relation to the so-called crimes of heresy for the whole of his reign, but he would never again attend another burning. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> now, it's right around this time that another important player enters the picture, though she, she is only a child at this point. Her name Mary? is Mary Stewart. <laughs> Queen of Scots. Um, so I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version because we will cover her in full next. That's a later. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. We're going to do it next. So Mary's father. Guys, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> I just show up? <laughs> Mary's father, King James V of Scotland, died mere days after she was born, making Mary the Queen of Scotland at only six days old. What the fuck? It's, she has a crazy story too. Yeah. 
So the rule of Scotland and the protection of Mary fell to her mother, Mary of Guise. But in time, the Protestant Reformation in England spilled over into Scotland and made the political climate more and more volatile for the young queen. England fucking it up for everyone. So speaking of England, um, at one point, Henry VIII had been in negotiations with Scotland to marry his son Edward to Mary so that they could unite the two kingdoms. But the French were like, Nah. nah, bro. Nah, we we bro. are we are not letting our ancient enemy whisk away this little girl. This is not going to happen. <laughs> but thank you for the weird offer. <laughs> and so Mary was betrothed to Catherine and Henry's eldest son, Francis. 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 Every time you say Francis, all I think is Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> now, as Mary of Guise lost more control over Scotland, she reached out to her brothers in France to retrieve Mary for her own safety. It's not confusing because they're both Mary. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, it's fine. I'm just here. <laughs> yeah. So Mary of Geese is like, hey, my little girl who's queen of Scotland, like, we need to protect her. Can you please take her to France? So they do. Okay. So this is where she officially enters Catherine's story at okay. the age of five. So Henry and Catherine were notoriously progressive parents for the time period. Um, you guys missed it, but she did hard quotation marks. Well, this is because they were directly involved in the education and child rearing of their children. They didn't just hand them off to nannies. They were like, we want you to actually do X, Y, and Z. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's Weird. pretty cool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, when Mary came, they basically treated her as their own daughter, and she was raised with the royal children. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I like that. For the Guise family, their prize pawn had finally landed. Yeah. But it would still be another 10 years or so before the marriage of Mary and Francis would take place. Um, fun little random fact. Uh -huh. So Mary is a year older than Francis. Um, by the age of 15, she's already gained renown for being this like remarkable beauty. She's also super tall. Yes! She um she dwarfed Francis. <laughs> and Francis was um a notoriously sickly child. Oh no, so it's like Arthur. Kind of. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's no. like Arthur. So he was <laughs> For those of you that don't know, it's... Uh, Henry VIII's little brother. Yeah. Or older brother who died. Yeah. 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 Catherine of Aragon's first husband. Yes. Who she totally and completely and definitely did not consummate marriage with. <laughs> sort of. Definitely not. <laughs> but maybe. But also um, possibly. <laughs> yeah. So, um... He, he looks nothing like Toby Regbo from yeah. Brain. Like, he's literally just, like, constantly running around, just, like, snot down his face Ew. and constantly sick. <laughs> Sir, get it together. That's that's not great. But he also, like... Help it. Ooh, he's just He's just always sick. But also, as, uh, I, I need to say that as someone who towers over men constantly... <laughs> This makes me happy. <laughs> they have this this poor little snivelly child standing next to like this beautiful and regal like teenage queen. Elven beauty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so enough about Mary. We're gonna talk about Mary some other time. Yes. Um, next time. Back to Catherine. After Catherine. So, yes. There's like eight parts now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one panic. We'll get to it in a year. <laughs> now during the latter half of Henry's reign, he continues to wage war with Imperial Spain over in Italy and along the northern border of France. When it came to these wars, Constable Montmorency would often be the voice of reason that spoke against fighting with Charles. I'm really happy you're calling him Montmorency, because if you call him Anna, I get so confused. <laughs> He's fighting um, 
they're fighting with Charles V of Spain, by the way. Remember Charles V? Oh, okay. The one that held them captive and yep. Yep, stormed Rome. Not a yep, guy. Still around. Wow. Okay. He's like, I outlived that bitch. <laughs> it was expensive, for one, and the treasury could not sustain what had now turned into a decades-long war. The Guise family, specifically Francois, who was already a military hero at this point, continued to push for war in the name of glory and fortune, the royal treasury be damned. Um, that's not great. Yeah. That's not great. That's nope. not really a reason for war. But yep. who, who the fuck why? Yep. Just say. Well, when it came to Italy, Catherine's own ambitions were obvious here. Her detested cousin, Cosmo de' Medici, different Cosmo. Oh, I was like, excuse me? The different, this is the cousin. Grandfather? <laughs> <laughs> They're all named. Like, every now and then a Cosmo pops up. Um, so he's now ruling in Florence and she hated him. Ooh, why would happen? I want to know. Just, he wasn't giving her any of her own inheritance. That's a good reason to hate him. Yeah. <laughs> so she would frequently support her husband's ambitions in Italy, not only to regret. Not only to regain her Florentine inheritance from her cousin, but also in the spirit of nationalism. Seeing so much of Italy in imperial hands was utterly abhorrent to her. It's during the latter half of Henry's reign that we also see a significant shift in Henry's attitude towards Catherine. Uh-oh. Like a good shift? Or a good shift. Oh, okay, I was yeah. like, oh my god, he can't shift anymore the other way. <laughs> <laughs> so Henry was now visibly more affectionate with his queen, even deigning to spend more and more time in her company. Blasphemy. <laughs> So the sources suggest that as Diane grew older, she was less charmed by the never-ending vigor of a lover who was 20 years her junior. Diane's around the age of 50 at this point and finally slowing down. So she's like, babe, I can't. Yeah, she's basically I like, I, I need you to go tend to I just wife. need a nap. I don't want <laughs> your duck. Put it away. I don't want the duck. Put your duck away, Put Henry. Put your duck away. <laughs> go make duck babies with your wife. <laughs> So yeah, she she basically would be like, "Go make your duck babies with your wife," because I'm I'm done. I can't do this. <laughs> I'll be your emotional support, but I, I can't I can't physically do anything with you anymore. Can you imagine being his emotional support? Oh my god, god no! <laughs> Full time job right there. You get one. <laughs> Henry also began to rely more openly on Catherine's counsel, and when he declared yet another war on Charles V, he trusted Catherine with the regency once more. This regency would have been like taking the training wheels off a bicycle for the first time, because Catherine got to experience firsthand what it was like to circumvent multiple competing interests within the court, including Constable Montmorency's tendency to push back on any economic initiative she tried to push through. Because again, he's very frugal. He's like, nope, can't afford that. Can't do that. Can't afford that because I'm so busy going to war. (laughs) Well, no, because her husband is. He's the one that's trying to be like, we can't afford war. Oh, geez. But that's going to change, too. So, (laughs) now Catherine's chief responsibilities involved raising funds for any army should her husband have need of more men, which he frequently did. (laughs) You're constantly at war. You're going to need more men. While also quelling any hints of religious unrest that popped up in Paris. So, that's happening, too. Oh, no. Now, the war in Italy would carry on for years, and during that time, Henry's longtime enemy, Charles V, finally decides his time on this mortal earth was coming to an end. Oh, no. And cedes power to his son, Philip II of Spain. So, Charles is exiting, and we have a new Spanish king coming in. Charles is like, I'm going to go ahead and bed and He's like, you know what, I'm tired, okay? (laughs) Like... 
I know how cats hide, but before they're gonna die, like I'm gonna go hide now. That's what she's done. Yeah, he's like, I've been around. I, I, I sacked Rome. I like. I kidnapped children. I kidnapped children. I'm hostage. tired. Yeah. It's tiring. It's tiring being an asshole. So before officially dying, <laughs> Charles managed to send one last double finger to France by marrying his son off to Mary Tudor of England. Whoa. And this is also right around the time that Mary's little annoying half-brother, King Edward VI of England, dies. Uh-uh. So we've now got Bloody Mary as queen over in England. Oh, hell yeah. It's all coming together. It is. Hell yeah. So France was now facing down a Spanish king that managed to tie himself to the other great and ancient enemy of France by marrying its new queen, Regnet. The year is 1553. And this is when it all really goes to shit. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if I ever lived in this time, like if I was like a time traveler and went back, I want to name like Bloody well, if you want a name like Bloody Mary, just start burning a bunch of Protestants. Okay. Sorry, that's... guys, I'm not going to actually do that. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll pick a different That's group. why she's called Bloody Shit. Mary. <laughs> We're going to do a Bloody Mary episode. Oh, man. <laughs> I just want a cool name, okay? <laughs> so this is also right around the time that Catherine gave birth to her final two children, who were the twins, Jean and Victoria. Her last two were twins, you poor, poor woman. Well... <laughs> And speaking of um, speaking of which, she this is like eight and nine, right? She had birthed ten children oh. in twelve years. Um, what the fuck? And and it took its toll on Catherine because she yeah. almost died during <gasps> Shit. birth. Yeah, there's a and then there's a cutoff that you should probably follow. Both the twins end up dying almost immediately. So after this, no more That's children. Really upsetting. She's, she's got plenty. Yeah, she has done her <laughs> you job. Have plenty and Jesus. Um, but Catherine was given very little time to mourn. So, of course. So Philip picks up exactly where Charles left off. Um, he's all too happy to continue the duck measuring contest started by his father. Um, oh, hello. You're going to need duck too. pictures. So <clears throat> Charles had been the Holy Roman Emperor. This does not pass to his son the way like a normal monarchy does. Okay. The Holy Roman Emperor is elected. But he does inherit all of the lands his father had gained. Okay. So that's... In purple? Yes. That is the Habsburg Empire. Interesting. Interesting that it's all over the place. It is. Like, it's not like one little spot. It's like, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over there. I'm in Italy. (laughs) Yes. So, basically, this, this was the Holy Roman Empire, and it consisted of Spain because that's where Charles was from, but it also had lands in the Netherlands, Austria, Bohemia, and various Italian provinces. We'll we'll put a map online. When you say various Italian provinces, it's literally all of Italy, except it's, like it's the, the southern top half. it's like the southern <laughs> half. <laughs> Mostly it's Naples and then Rome. Anyway, so at this point, I'm like anyway. Anyway, moving on. So Henry engages in the war with Philip, and he ends up splitting his forces in two. So the first um, is spearheaded by war hero Francois Guise, and they go to Naples, and Henry goes with Francois to Naples. The second place that his forces were stationed were in a little French town called San Quentin in northern France. Um, This city serves as a buffer from the Holy Roman Empire's northern domains. Okay. 
Montmorency is leading the campaign and it goes bad. Goes very bad. So San Quentin is very close to Paris. It is the only buffer city between Paris and that portion of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. So (laughs) it's so bad that it leaves Paris wide open to imperial forces. So this is where Catherine de Medici comes in. In her first important public speech to the people of Paris, the queen was tasked with raising funds for a new army. And when Catherine appeared before her people, she did so humbly and openly emotional. This was not a queen commanding her people to help their king. It was a humble queen requesting the citizens of Paris aid their king, who had worked tirelessly to protect them and now needed their help in turn. And this emotional display of soft power that we talked Mm -hmm. about, it worked. The citizens gave up a shit ton of money to help fund a new army. So this was her first, her first like appearance where she is the queen yeah. asking for help from her people. Interesting. The king is fighting for you, but this war didn't need to happen, but he is fighting for you. So <laughs> exactly. here we are. You only get half the story. <laughs> I'm going to make a very long story short. San Quentin falls, but before Imperial forces could move on Paris, Henry decides to make a beeline for a completely different area of the country. He goes to the city of Calais. So the city of Calais is the very last English city in France. So he's like, I'm losing over here, so I'm going to go this way? Well, so so here's the thing. Philip has just married um, Mary mm-hmm. Tudor mm-hmm. of England. Mm-hmm. And to lose this city would be a huge um, blow to morale in England. Okay. So it doesn't take much to ruin English morale. (laughs) Right. So Philip does like circumvent his forces to go to Calais, but Calais falls. um, And this is in part thanks to the efforts of Francois de Guise. That literally makes me so mad that he's like, I'm losing over here, but I can't lose face. So I'm going to go over here. Well, it's not so much. It's not so much that he's worried about losing face. He's just like, I need to attack. I need to attack a city I know is going to draw Spanish forces. So I'm pulling them from here. And if we can focus them here in Calais, that means Paris is safe. And it works. That's fair. So after this happens, Calais falls, um, again, thanks to Francois. And he returns to Paris as a war hero. And Montmorency kind of returns with his tail between his legs. Shit. (laughs) Wasn't Francois already a war hero, though? Yeah, he's just getting more accolades. Just, he's like, I'm even more. He's like, put another, put another. Metal. Can you find a spot? Like, <laughs> find a spot on this jacket to put another. Pretty metal. much. It's so shiny and heavy. It's hard to mock in this. <laughs> As a reward for his faithful service, King Henry at long last agrees to set a wedding date for his son Francis and Mary Stuart. So on April 20th, 1558. Mary Stuart's like, really? Don't, please. <laughs> Mary and Francis were wed in Notre Dame, and Mary officially became the Dauphin of France, and Francis the King Consort of Scotland. The King Consort, I like that. Yeah, he's her consort <laughs> for <bitch>. Scotland. <laughs> now, in addition to the wars with Imperial Spain and the rising power of the Guise family, culminating in the wedding of their niece to the heir to France, the final years of Henry's reign also saw a rise in religious upheaval across the country. Protestantism was spreading like a weed. On May 13th, 1558, 4,000 reformers marched on Paris, singing psalms in the street and spreading heresy that God's word did not have to come from a priest, but could be understood and read by the commons. I just don't understand why that's a 
Yeah, I'm gonna explain it. I mean, I later. There's, I get it from like a bullshit. It's standpoint, all. It's but, all a bullshit standpoint. Yeah. It's taking power directly from the Pope. That's yeah. what this is about. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and other things. So, of increasing concern for Henry was the fact that a couple of French nobles were openly converting now. <laughs> At the head of this procession was Antoine de Bourbon, the King of Navarre and a Prince of the Blood that fell in the line of succession after Whoops. his and Catherine's children. He's like, I'm not going to get anything over here, so I'm going to put it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so his wife, um, the Queen of Navarre, she was a recent Protestant convert. Okay. So that's part of it. That's part of why he's converting to. That's fair. I like that. <laughs> Henry's response to the rise of Protestants targeted Calvinists specifically, who had been sneaking into France to spread Protestant literature. There are also Lutherans among the nobles at court, but because of how powerful they were, Henry was unable to openly target them. So he focuses on the Calvinists. Okay. He's not happy about them, but he's yeah. like, I can't, I can't do anything about you right now. So yeah. we're going to focus over here. So feel my laser beam eyes on so, you the whole time, but I'm also going to be over here. <laughs> So Henry declared all Calvinist preachers caught distributing Protestant literature were to be given the death penalty without any right to appeal. Um, he also requested permission from the Pope to form a French Inquisition, and that request was granted. Well, yeah, the Pope is like, yes, please. I yeah, don't he's want like, this. Don't want this I at want all. this power. Yeah. So just clock this in the back of your head. Religious upheaval is really starting to amp up towards the end of Henry's reign. Okay. In the last year of Henry's reign, it seems as though all the loss from the various Italian wars with Spain finally took their toll on the king. Thanks to an, a series of unexpected events, beginning with the death of Mary Tudor in England, Henry saw the opportunity for a new alliance. Um, so basically what's been going on is Henry's getting annoyed with the Guise family. Like, you just huh! keep asking the me for family? more and more, more and like, <laughs> your niece is now... Um, the Dauphine of France, she's gonna be like, What more do you want from me? Yeah. And they're like, A lot, we want a lot, like, give yeah. us more. <laughs> but because Mary Tudor has died in England, this means King Philip of Spain was He's now a new single, ladies. Okay. He's single, and all the ladies are like, Great, run. <laughs> so, we know what that means. I don't know, marry off a child to him. Yep, great. Yep, so you know, sometimes I don't like to be right, Rachel. Okay, <laughs> sometimes so. <laughs> Their oldest daughter is now of an age where she can be married. She's 12. She's 13. I was so fucking close. <laughs> Her name is Elizabeth. Um, Catherine is livid. She's, she is livid. Because yeah. not only were they marrying their daughter to the enemy, but they're also forming a truce. And with this truce, Henry is abandoning the decades-long campaign to regain lost territory in Italy. Yeah. So for Catherine, she's like, you are abandoning my homeland. Yeah. Yeah. She is pissed. I would be too. And like, like honey, that's literally every war that has played out from the beginning yes. of time. Yeah. Where like you have all these years of war, and then all of a sudden everyone's like, mm, I'm kind of tired of fighting. Let's just like call it a truce. And yep. Call it a day. And all so, the deaths before now, it's like fine. <laughs> the other thing I will mention is Elizabeth is 13, and Philip, I want to say, is in his 30s. Sounds great. Yeah. Completely normal. So this truce was called the Truce of La Salle. As with most political dealings, there were courtly politics all over it. 
As mentioned, Henry had grown tired of the rising star of the Guise family, what he dubbed to be their insatiable greed for power and accolades. It was the Guise family that pressed war so fervently in Italy, and it had left France and Paris vulnerable. The treaty that followed was Constable Montmorency's brainchild. Less concerned with the glory of territory outside of their own borders, Montmorency wanted to strengthen France's borders to keep her from imperial invasion. But the French court, of course, sees this as a coward's move. Mm. They're basically like, we've been fighting Spain this whole time and we have nothing to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, they are broke. Yeah. They are broke. They cannot keep fighting this war. This is true. So it's practical, but not great for morale. Yeah. Catherine took it as a personal affront, Italy being so close to her heart, and she never forgets this with Morrissey. Not Morrissey. So oh. keep that in the back of your head. But it does end the war between France and Spain and Italy, and this war had been going on for 65 years. That is an aggressive yep. amount of time to be at war, I'm just saying. The war with Spain officially over, Henry was able to turn his attention to the internal conflict rising in France that involved the heresy of Protestantism. And as you would imagine, we get lots more burnings. Great. (laughs) Equally important to focus on was the upcoming wedding between Elizabeth and Philip of Spain. And because this is the French court where nothing can be done without the aid of outrageous pageantry. Oh no. The French court prepared to put on a tourney with jousting to celebrate. (laughs) We're too broke for war, but we can like do this wedding? Mm Mm-hmm. To celebrate the Union and the end of the war. It's not great. So ever, ever the Renaissance king, Henry had every intention of participating in the joust. It was an opportunity to prove his prowess with horse and lance and remind visiting nobles of how vigorous and magnanimous their king was. Please tell me this backfires hard. So I'm going to set the scene for you. Yes. I'm here for it. On June 29th, 1559, the day before Henry was set to ride in the joust, Catherine de Medici has one of her dreams. Oh, shit. In the dream, she saw Henry wounded, having fallen from his horse and his face covered in blood. She woke from the nightmare screaming and crying because she knew what this meant. Yeah. She saw her husband's death. Oh, I got the chills right now. The next day, she pleaded with Henry not to ride in the list. No, because Henry is so good at following other people's <laughs> advice. She 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 was literally like, dude, you are going to die. Yeah. Like, please do like, not do I this. I don't know how to break this <laughs> down anymore for you. <laughs> this was not the first time the king's death had been prophesied. One of the Medici family's famous astrologers warned in 1552 that Henry should be extra careful in his 40th year and avoid all single combat <laughs> in it in enclosed spaces, for he was in danger of receiving a wound to his eyes that would either blind or kill him. So you have two people. This is recorded. Two people. <laughs> just just note this has been re- this was recorded before this year, before these events that are about to take place. So go ahead, Henry. You do you and get fucked. <laughs> so Henry would not be swayed Ugh. and even seemed to laugh in the face of death's prophecy. And he says this. Death is like, fuck you. <laughs> I care not if my death be in this manner. I would even prefer it to die by the hand of whoever he might be so long as he was brave and valiant and that I kept my honor. Okay, so what happens when he's not brave and valiant and you don't have your honor? Then you look like a fool. You look like a fool anyway, but. On June 30th, 1559, Henry arrived at the lists wearing black and white, the colors of Diane de Poitiers, who, who was in the crowds Ugh. to to watch. Yeah. 
Catherine de Medici was looking visibly uncomfortable, knowing all too well that her dreams often came true. She is, you can, she is visibly terrified yeah. the entire time. She was wow. seated with her eldest son, Francis, and his new bride, Mary Stuart. Together, they watched the king ride well against several noble members of the court, including Mary's two uncles. Can you imagine the heart attack that she has every time? Like, mm-hmm. oh, God. For his final tilt, he faced off against Gabriel de Montgomery. The two clashed a couple of times without either falling from their horse, but the king was becoming visibly more exhausted. Catherine shouted for the king to stop. He had more than proven himself. Everybody, everybody can see you are a vigorous king. We believe you. Everyone can see you are full of yourself. Chill. (laughs) Others also began to plead with Henry to stop because they could see how tired he was getting, including Gabriel. Wow. If I was Catherine, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not watching you die. I warned you. Fuck off. But Henry refused. He wanted to win this tilt. He wanted to die. (laughs) When next their lances met, a cry went through the crowd as Gabriel's lance splintered and the king started to fall from his horse. Montmorency and Francois de Guise both rushed forward to catch the king before he fell, only to discover to their horror that Henry had forgot to put the visor down on his helm. Your wife literally warned you about this and you forgot to put your visor down. (laughs) Several wooden splinters protruded from his eye and forehead. Catherine screamed in the crowd, spectators in the crowd cried, and Francis, the sickly and snivelly Dauphin of France, fainted. The royal family retreated to the Chateau de Tournel and locked the gates of the castle as they tried to figure out the state of the king. Ever the dutiful and doting queen, Catherine held a vigil for ten days, praying for the king's life. She also refused Diane de Poitiers any access to Henry. Good. But alas, it was for naught. And on July 10th, 1559, Henry II of France officially died at the age of 40 years old, just as the astrologers and Catherine de Medici had predicted. Diane de Poitiers left the castle immediately, knowing the fate of the king's yeah. official mistress was officially tied to her king and that she would find no sympathy in Catherine. Catherine herself had to move quickly. Her son was now the king of France, but he was only 15 years old, and he was in the clutches of the Guise family, thanks to his marriage to Mary, Queen of Scots. I mean, he's 15. Mary ruled at six. Come on, you can do it. He's a snivelly child, remember? I forgot. (laughs) Forgot about the snot. (laughs) So, as the queen mother, Catherine doesn't have any official role in the government, Mm -hmm. but... It was to the benefit of both the Guises and Catherine to link up together. Um, Because, again, the Guise family is very powerful. They've already got, you know, their niece is the queen. They've physically got Francis in their possession, too. And to be seen with Catherine gives the Guise family some legitimacy to their new role. So when the king at last emerged from the castle, it was in the company of his new queen, her powerful uncles, Francois and Charles of Guise, and the Queen Mother. Catherine cast her lot openly for the Guise family. Montmorency was left in the dust. For now. (laughs) And so the short reign of Francis II and Mary, now Queen of Scotland and France, officially begins. Hell yeah. Now the Guise family moved Francis and his new queen to the Louvre Palace, taking the most lavish apartments for themselves... (laughs) 
literally displacing Diane and Mont Morrissey from their apartments. <laughs> They're like, you are, you are like, we're taking these. These are the away. best apartments. We don't want you here. Please yeah. be gone. <laughs> this is what we call a coup d'etat. The Guise family essentially stepped right in. Yeah, I think you're right. Coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. Yeah. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> I know. It's like the one French verse I know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a coup d'etat. They basically, the Guise family steps in and they're like, we have the king's physical person. We're here, Guess motherfuckers. What? We are in power now. <laughs> we have the king's snivelly person. Boom. <laughs> no one else wanted it, so we're here. <laughs> when Montmorency showed up to offer his services to Francis, the young king had already been coached by the Guise family to politely dismiss him. Oh, no. With the Guise family's prized pawn, now queen of France, Montmorency knew he was beat for now, so he gallantly accepted his dismissal and left the new court, but not before a quick visit to the queen mother. Catherine was shrewd. She was very careful not to alienate Montmorency. The Guise family was empowered now. Yeah, she was like, I know I'm going to need you later, so hey. (laughs) But Catherine knew how fickle politics could be, and knowing there might come a time she would need Montmorency in the future... She fell to her knees before him in tears and promised she would do her best to protect his family's lands and titles. The two had never been allies, and they were oft pitted against one another and on opposite sides of court politics. But Catherine knew his worth, and Montmorency knew she was his only hope in ever regaining power in the future. Catherine's intervention resulted in Montmorency resigning graciously, and she found comfort in the knowledge that she could call on him in the future should she ever have need of him. Spoiler alert, she will. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the last person to worry about was Antoine de Bourbon. As previously mentioned, he was the most senior prince of the blood after Henry and Catherine's children. This meant he was due a position on the council by sheer virtue of his birth. When it came time to claim his position on Francis's new council, Antoine de Bourbon took his sweet time before finally turning up to Francis's court. Um... So the book I've been reading in it, the author describes Antoine basically as being this haplessly naive person who doesn't fully understand how the power structures in place work. Mm -hmm. And he lacks the disposition to actually push for his own favor. So by taking so much time and presenting himself to Francis, Bourbon missed out on all the important positions on the council because the Guise family grabbed them for themselves. Yeah. This this whole situation with Antoine, um, Catherine, and the Guise family are just astounded by how easily they were able to outmaneuver him. Like oh, he he doesn't question anything. He's just like, okay, okay. you don't have any positions for me. I guess I'll I guess, I guess I'll just go home. So it's something they'll always remember. They'll basically be like, Antoine's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. He's good for nothing. <laughs> Now, as for Francis himself, he technically came to his crown as an adult at the age of 15, but as mentioned, he had a perpetually sickly disposition thanks to a respiratory infection he suffered as a child. He's the king, but he's he's very much a, like, he's just a prop. Yeah. Like, the geezes are running. Yeah, yeah, he's a puppet. Um, here's, here's the other... Uh, <laughs> interesting thing about francis so it's been suggested but never proven that his testicles never fully dropped in puberty oh no so people have speculated that he was incapable of having children and that's why he and mary never had a child okay hey Um, at least we're blaming the male this time yes so 
It's a sickly male, so does that count? <laughs> um, some historians even suggest that he was completely incapable of even consummating the marriage with Mary. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, again, if you watch Rain, completely <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, anyway, so... You you mean to tell me that a CW show is inaccurate <laughs> as far as history is concerned, There's just parts where I'm like, you could have done, like, the actual story that happened, and it's way more yeah, interesting. CW but, ruins everything yeah. it touches. Despite being a perpetually wheezing and sickly child and teen, <laughs> Francis overcompensated for his ailments by being horrifically pompous and obnoxious. Great. Um... So, again, he he doesn't actually run the kingdom. A majority of those decisions were left with Catherine and the two Guise uncles by marriage. Um, when it comes to Francis's council, the Duke of Guise takes charge of all military matters, while his brother, the Cardinal of Lorraine, oversaw domestic and foreign affairs. <laughs> they have control of everything. Wow. Yep. I love how... I love how it didn't fall back on Henry... That he trusted the family that his father was like, don't trust them. I mean, he he started to see it when it was too late. Yeah. It was too late. He and he he died um before his time. Like if he just listened and like stopped the jowls. No, he's probably like, you know what? I don't want anyone to be able to say it. I, I think he was so. he was starting to bring Montmorency into the fold, and he certainly didn't expect to die as quickly as he did. Yeah. So this all really because your wife and some random <laughs> dude warned you. A couple of astrologers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust the astrologers; they usually have it mostly right. <laughs> now, as for Catherine, we have already learned that when it comes to women in power, true power is rarely ever exercised as the queen consort. It often comes after the death of a husband, and in this case, Catherine is a prime example. Yeah, it's literally like, let me get my husband out of the way, and then I can do this. (laughs) So Francis bestowed upon his mother wealth and power, unlike anything ever before seen in France. Um, She's awarded an annual pension of 70,000 livres. Livres? Livres? Livres. You struggle every time. (laughs) I can't do this word. (laughs) So still a very significant pension. And she's given several new castles and estates and the Duchy of Alençon. How many Alencon? castles and estates do you need? A lot. <laughs> no. Francis you even... You need one! She gets a lot. No! She gets Diane's castle. Okay, fine. I'm here for <laughs> she, that. She, like, demanded it. That's fair. Francis even referenced his mother in every single new accord he signed into law by beginning each with the following... This being the good pleasure of the queen, my lady mother, and I also approving of every opinion that she holdeth, am content and command that, and then blah, blah, blah. Insert new declaration here. like, I can't make a decision, but the women in my life are smarter than every man I've ever known, so. Yes. <laughs> Catherine created a new mantle of grieving and widowhood that she would wear for the remainder of her life. From the day of Henry's death until the day she died herself, Catherine's color would be the color black. She's like, I'm not remarrying, so fuck you all. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) She's shrouded in the mantle of mourning, ever presenting to the world the image of a widowed wife forever devoted to her beloved dead husband and the future of the children they bore together. So in even in Henry's death, she, like, his memory, she did not besmirch it, even though he he was a piece of shit. All throughout. She was basically like, nope, he was a great husband, and I am a devoted wife, even in his death, and everything I do is for our children. So I'm going to believe that it had nothing to do with that and everything to do with she didn't want to remarry. (laughs) 
So she's like, I'm going to use Henry up until my death because fuck him and his name. But also I'm great and I'm going to keep his name slightly good. (laughs) Now, as for her relationship with Mary, the two were said to carry on a cordial relationship, despite what a lot of uh, fiction likes to tell. (laughs) You mean telling fiction isn't real, Rachel? I mean, a little bit, but yeah. They, a lot of um, shows and movies, they like really play up this so-called rivalry between the two, but. Yeah. Well, you have to have drama somewhere. Yeah. There's not been any drama in this, Rachel. Come on. <laughs> right? No, no duck drama. measuring at all. <laughs> Non, No duck measuring. <laughs> now, ever a woman who observed proper decorum, Catherine immediately passed along her official duties as queen and regarded her new daughter-in-law with the deference and respect due to her as the new consort. Catherine also passed along the official crown jewels to Mary and even included some of her own personal jewelry. This included the famous pearls. She's like, remember? I never wanted these anyway. <laughs> they're very heavy. She's like, they're very gaudy. Slightly uncomfortable. Have you seen these? They're awful. <laughs> that's that's how Mary um, came in possession of those pearls, okay. which eventually Elizabeth takes. Yep. <laughs> now, people often, again, they romanticize this time when Catherine and Mary were so close in power to one another, imagining a rivalry that simply did not exist. You'll remember that Mary was raised amongst Catherine's own children. The two women were often seen in, in each other's company as well and jointly received visitors to court together. Huh. They're often sitting on the lake thrones together. Hi, they're like, <laughs> we actually rule. He has nothing to do with this. Yeah, he's not even there. Yeah, he's blowing, <laughs> Where's the king? He's blowing his nose again <laughs> for like the 500th time in an hour. He just <laughs> had another coughing fit. He's taking a nap. <laughs> Also, this is not to besmirch anyone who's sickly. Yes, <laughs> who's sickly. If you have oh a respiratory God. infection that plagues your everyday life, like cat, like cat, we are sorry. Oh, this is not about you. No, it's not. Also going on, Catherine's mourning also drew the attention of a new female monarch. Over in England, Mary Tudor was dead a couple of years now, and in her place was the young, red-headed Elizabeth I. Yes. Catherine even received a letter from Elizabeth that expressed her sorrow for the widowed queen's loss. So this is Catherine's a... like, thanks, but I don't actually care. <laughs> this black is because I just like this color. She did. She loved Henry. It's, it's sad. It makes me so <laughs> mad because Henry was a piece of shit. He was a piece of shit. <laughs> so this is a particularly interesting time for the three queens. When Catherine wrote back to Elizabeth, she addressed the young English queen as the most high and excellent princess, our true friend, good sister, and cousin, the Queen of England. But by this point, Mary had already included the English coat of arms on her own coat of arms to signify her personal claim to the English throne. Uh-oh. Yep. Um, and that that whole thing was, like, instigated by Henry as well. He of was course. like, you have a claim to the English throne, and I want, like, my grandchildren to inherit France, Scotland, and England. So put that on your... No, your asshole. Pick fucking one. Yeah. Jesus. Um, so it's a very precarious Game of Thrones they all played, Catherine included. But she was still very careful to observe all formalities whenever she corresponded with Elizabeth. Okay. She was, like, double dipping. Yes. I mean, she's been smart up until this point, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She'll continue being smart. Oh, gosh. Um, I love how you brought it full circle with Game of Thrones again. <laughs> this whole thing is just like musical Game of it is. Thrones chairs. Game of chairs. Thrones. Game of chairs. Thrones. Game of Thrones chairs. 
Um, thrones that are chairs. Chairs that are thrones? I don't know. Now, when Francis first became king, Catherine relegated herself to the background while the Guise brothers tended to military concerns and matters of state. But it's been suggested that Catherine was playing the long game now. While observing her public mourning period, Catherine took care to sit quietly and watch. I love how you said she's playing the long game now. She's been playing the long game since this started. She has, but I'm going to say... She's from, like doubling down right From now. this moment on. Okay. Pay attention. <laughs> I don't understand the assignment. <laughs> Having been involved in her husband's management of the kingdom, Catherine knew all too well that the Guise family were inheriting a volatile situation. One. France was bankrupt thanks to 60 years of war with Imperial Spain. 65. Sorry, 65. Excuse me. Excuse me while I correct you in your own podcast. <laughs> it's yours too. I know. <laughs> Facing an economic crisis, the Cardinal of Lorraine's response, again, this is Charles of Guise, mm -hmm. had a couple of options. One would have been to raise taxes. The other was simply to ignore the crown's debts. And he elected to do the latter. <laughs> Is that not what they all do? And a lot of them do that, They're yeah. Like, we're the crown. We don't have debts. You have debts. <laughs> so this included freezing various salaries to the nobles of the court and also pensions due to the soldiers returning home from war. Oh, uh, that's fucked. I didn't give a shit about the nobles, but now I'm mad. Keep that in the back of your head. Ooh, shit. <laughs> Two. The Guise family was notoriously ambitious and greedy. What? <laughs> <laughs> As soon as they were in power, they snatched up all the best land grants and titles for themselves, alienating a good portion of the nobility that were technically more senior than them. They're, like, really greedy. Three. Huh? The they War of Religion are. is amping up. The Guise family was staunchly Catholic and notoriously anti-Protestant and championed some of the harshest punishments to anyone pledging to openly reform to Protestantism. Now, for her part... Catherine attempted to straddle a middle ground between the Catholic and Protestant forces in the wars of religion to come. Catherine herself was also a Catholic, but she openly disproved of the harsh persecutions that the Protestants faced, in part because she feared they would openly fan the flames of unrest and lead to anarchy in the kingdom. Yeah, but also why? Why you gotta punish them? Just be I'm sorry, that's an entirely different story. <laughs> we don't have time for you're that could be a whole new podcast i texted you and i was like i'm working on part no, three yeah, and that's literally all it's about you did warn me but i'm just like <laughs> god damn it the bullshittery happening right now it's gonna get worse Ugh. so in addition to the rise of the religious unrest and refusal refusal and refusal to pay pensions and salaries to nobles and soldiers the Guise family also pledged more French soldiers to aid Scotland against English invasion. I'm sorry, the same French soldiers you refused to pay? And now they're sending them to a different country. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Mary of Guise was still running things in Scotland while her daughter was queen in France and fending off just one in a series of many rebellions. Yeah. The Guise family found it necessary to aid Scotland as Francis and Mary were now the king and queen of both France and Scotland. But Catherine was very much against military action in Scotland, fearing it would only drive the country deeper into bankruptcy, and recognizing that these same French soldiers were going to be needed at home to defend against the rising Protestant insurrection. The country morale had become a Molotov cocktail just waiting to be lit. And thrown. Now, as it turned out, Catherine was right. Everything was ready to be lit. So, yeah, this is going to be great. 
The Guise brothers had been the strongest proponents of Henry's harsh treatment of Protestant reformers when he had been king, and they continued those same policies into Francis's reign. In time, the growing discontent felt in the country attracted the attention of soldiers who had recently returned from war without their pensions, looking for a new place to channel their discontentment towards the French crown. Oh no. Those same soldiers made up a huge portion of the new rebel force of Protestants looking to physically remove the Guise family from power and replace them with a new Protestant sympathizing faction. Specifically, a regency made up entirely of Bourbons. Oh. So the Bourbons are going to enter the picture now. So this conspiracy became known as the Conspiracy of Amboise. Amboise? That sounds right. Amboise. Uh, anyway, love how we take so much time to um, learn was. the pronunciation, and then we get freaking nervous, and we're like, no, I don't know. Sensing Antoine de Bourbon lacked the drive and courage to lead this new faction, conspirators turned to his brother Louis de Bourbon, the Prince de Condé. Remember, oh, I mentioned him at the very beginning. Antoine's the guy who's like, oh, you gave up all the seats? Okay, I go home now. And now Louis is like, um, no. Louis is like, fuck you. Just you go, sit, go down. sit down. Go I'll sit take down. care of this. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. Despite this conspiracy, word of it was leaked to the royal family before it could officially take place. Uh-oh. And the Duke of Guise's response to the conspirators was to employ especially harsh and brutal tactics. So, so they're basically rising up because of your harsh, brutal tactics mm-hmm. against them. So why don't you make it worse? So what ends up happening is the royal family is taken to this, um, I can't remember the name of the chateau, but they're taken to a heavily fortified castle. There's like castle. five. Why would you there's, not be able to There's like a million name. of them. <laughs> um, the nobles of the court are there as well. Mm-hmm. And these uh, Protestant insurgents are surrounding the castle like in the woods. That's problematic and yes. fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> anyway, so... The Duke of Guise sends out his soldiers to take them out. The soldiers who haven't been paid? Mm-hmm. Cool. So the, when they're captured, the lesser foot soldiers were hunted down and executed on the spot. Of the Protestants? Yes. Okay. Some of them were sewn into sacks and tossed in the nearby river to drown. What the fuck? And <laughs> others were hung on the battlements of Am- Ambos- Ambos- Ambos. Castle left to decompose in plain sight of the nearby town and the court that had gathered at the medieval fortress for safety. I love how they're like, yeah, this is going to make them fear. No, that's going to incense them more. Yes. But human psychology is hard. (laughs) 52 lesser nobles were named in the conspiracy, and they were also executed in the castle courtyard as the royal family looked on. Um, Catherine forbade people to look away. That's aggressive. So here's the thing with Catherine. She does not agree um, with these harsh prosecutions. But at this point, her son has been threatened. And she sees it as treason. She's like, you are threatening the life of the king. I know you're saying you're going to, your intent is to physically remove the Guise family from power and put your people in place. he is part of the Guise family at this point. He's married to one. So that's why she was like, none of you can look away. This included her nine-year-old son charles oh. as well he's there wow too. way to give your son trauma like it's a breakfast now louis de bourbon was also present his role in the plot not yet uncovered so he was standing with Ch- catherine and her he's family sweating fucking bullets no oh anyway so uh. known to be an open protestant sympathizer 
Catherine had Louis installed as the chief of the king's bodyguard, meaning that Louis had to remain by the king's side at all times and under her watchful eye. So she couldn't prove he was part of the conspiracy. She did not want him wandering the castle. She's like, I fucking know, bro. (laughs) Louis remained just as stone-faced as the rest of the family as they watched the executions take place. And he said the following, if the French know how to mount a rebellion, they also know how to die. Yep. That's problematic. Now, Catherine was not content to sit back and relax after the executions were complete. She sought to understand what truly led to the uprising and reached out to various Protestant factions to understand the source of their frustration and anger. This is when Catherine really started to step up and speak out against the Guise family that had largely gone unchallenged within their own faction at this point. The conspiracy of Amboise, as it became known as, might have ended, but several areas of the country were rife with discontent and on the brink of anarchy. In August of 1560, Catherine called for a great council to discuss the pressing issues that threatened to tear France apart and resolve them once and for all. The council met at the Palace of Fountainebleau. There it was decided that France could no longer afford to support Scotland against England, and so their forces would be withdrawn. Francis and Mary both refused to relinquish their claim to England, but it would no longer be funded with French coin and men. So that's one issue they solve. (laughs) The chief purpose of calling the council was to resolve the religious turmoil that threatened to break the country apart. Many people within the church were concerned with the precedent being set by burning so-called heretics whose only crime was a love for God. The same God, essentially, that they worshipped. They just worshipped it differently. Protestant reformers were called to speak on their own behalf as well, producing a petition requesting that they be allowed to practice their religion in peace. Catherine spoke through her counselors, pleading once more for a middle ground resolution that allowed for reformers to practice their religion quietly behind closed doors, so long as they agreed not to take up arms against the crown. She believed this would go a long way in pacifying the growing anger and resentment in the country. Yeah. Catherine walked away from the council at Fountainebleau successful in her aims, and the Guise family was able to retain power. But at the same time, the Protestant faction was temporarily pacified with the hope that they would be able to practice their religion openly in time without prosecution. A multitude of conflicting interests complicated the outcome of the council. Of course it did. The Guise family, for one, was reluctant to offer any sort of olive branch to the reformers. Their cooperation could not be counted on. Pope Pius IV was also concerned that offering any quarter to the Protestant reformers would result in another break in the Church of France, similar to what was going on in England. As for the Protestant reformers, their movement began to attract factions of people that were less concerned with religious reform and more with the idea of replacing the Guise family regime. And so, a Protestant military campaign soon began again, with the Bourbon faction heading it, and conscripting men to attack towns in southern France. Why did he have to attack towns? I get it, but I don't. You don't have to attack towns, but they're also, like, fed up with everything. Uh They also have their own ambitions. Yeah. Yeah. French Protestants now had a name as well. They are known as the Huguenots. So this name came from the Port of Hughes in the French city of Nantes, where the birth of the conspiracy of Amboise had first taken place. So going forward, we're going to call these Protestant reformers Huguenots, because that's what they are. Yep. 
Fearing a civil war was about to break out across France, Catherine reached out to her son-in-law, King Philip of Spain, for aid. She also made an incredibly bold move. By now, it was known that Antoine and Louis de Bourbon were the head of the Huguenot faction and had illegally levied troops. Both had been summoned to court to answer for their actions. As soon as the two arrived at the court in Orléans, Louis was arrested on the spot. That's kind of his fault for going to court knowing full well. They, <laughs> they both kind of knew the cat yeah. was out of the bag now, but they were like, still going to be like, we didn't do anything. Mm. Now, Catherine's intent had been to force the Bourbons to admit their hand in the conspiracy openly, but it was also still a very fine and delicate line she walked. Louis would be put on trial by his peers, but she knew the Guise family would stack the trial with their own people to ensure that Louis would be condemned to death. And to condemn a prince of the blood to death set a very bad precedent. Yeah. Um, We talked a little bit about this in the Joan of Arc episodes. Basically, once you kill a prince of the blood, it just sparks a never-ending blood vendetta. Yeah. And it also means other royal members can be killed. Mm Mm-hmm. She did not want this, but she also wanted them to stop. Yeah. (laughs) Catherine knew that if Louis was executed, it would be the spark the Huguenot faction needed to set the whole country ablaze in rebellion. Predictably, the trial found Louis de Bourbon guilty of treason. Catherine instructed her own allies to delay adding their signatures to his death warrant until she could figure out an alternative. And then the gods delivered Catherine just that, albeit in the worst way possible. The gods or the god? The, <laughs> I say the gods. <laughs> Francis was ill. Uh-oh. Wait. King, Fran- King Francis. The sickly boy was ill? Like, bad. Okay. Like, bad, More bad. sickly. Yes. More ill. <laughs> he had been prone to fainting spells, and in the final weeks of his reign, they were getting worse. Uh-oh. After complaining of an immense pain in his left ear, Francis collapsed to the floor, and it was discovered that he had an abscess in his ear that had developed into sepsis and was spreading to the rest of his body. That is no bueno. Catherine realized with horror that her teenage son was dying. As a mother, she grieved over the fact that she could do nothing to ease his pain or save him from his inevitable fate. She was also faced with a very sober understanding of what the future lay in store for the country. The next in line to the throne was her nine-year-old son, Charles Maximilian. Oh, no. As a minor, a regency would be put in place to rule for him until he reached his majority at the age of 15. It was time for Catherine. At the age of 15. Yeah. (laughs) Nine? Can't rule. 15? All right. (laughs) I mean, Edward the third of England... Started ruling at, like, 15. Yeah, ruling seemed like a loose term. <laughs> no, that was... Do you remember? That was the, the she-wolf of France. The, yeah. That was her son. Yeah. And he, like, stepped in and, like, removed his mother's lover after they, like, usurped the crown from, the, the crown from his yeah. father. Yeah. But, um... Charles isn't Edward, so... <laughs> yeah, most 15-year-olds are like, mm, no thanks. <laughs> It was time for Catherine to move and move fast, and in this limbo between life and death that Francis lingered in, everything Catherine learned of political maneuvering was finally put into place. Once Francis died, a council would vote on the regency, and the Huguenot faction had enough support in place now that it was likely the Bourbons would be named for the regency. Oh, shit. So, 
Catherine summoned Antoine de Bourbon before the court and accused him and his brother, point blank, of inciting rebellion. Antoine responded with self-righteous outrage, championing his innocence, and to prove his loyalty, he promised that should Francis die and Charles be named king, he would renounce his right to the regency in favor of the queen mother. Whoa. All right. In return, she would free Louis de Bourbon. Girl. This promise was signed off officially, and in return, again, for his complicity in the transfer of regency to her hands, Catherine promised to have Louis released from custody. Fearing retribution from the Bourbons for having arrested Louis de Condé, the Guise brothers turned to Catherine for reconciliation. To ensure the safety of Francois and Charles Guise, Catherine had the dying king, Francis, sign off a letter that proclaimed he had issued the warrant for Louis de Condé. This absolved the Guise brothers of their involvement and left them indebted to Catherine. She had effectively played the Guise and Bourbon factions against one another and ensured her new position in the transition of power that was about to take place. She's like, you guys fight, I'm queen. (laughs) On December 5th, 1560, King Francis II finally departed from this world. He had reigned for only 16 months and he was 16 years old. That's unfortunate. Yep. Pots here. But also, that's pretty amazing that... All of that happened in, like, a year and a half. But, like, that she did all of that while her son was dying. Like, she had the forethought and the, I want to say audacity, and not in a bad way, to be able to do that. As as I was reading it, um, it was basically saying she was in this weird space of, like, she is grieving. She loves her son. She does everything Catherine does. But when you have a sickly son, you kind of are prepared she also knew like the next in line is a nine-year-old boy yeah and at this point like the guises don't have their niece married to him like they do francis yeah so and the country's about to explode yeah so the only way forward is if she can get control damn that's scary for everyone involved yeah now Catherine had been by her son's side when he died she had little time to mourn in the moment and immediately set off to setting the royal household to straits in order to secure the transition of power. One day after Francis's death, Catherine demanded that Mary, Queen of Scots, return the crown jewels and left her alone crying in her room. Wow. She then called a meeting of the Privy Council. <laughs> She's like, Pilgrim, I give him back. <laughs> and declared her 10-year-old son, Charles Maximilian, the King of France. He would officially be known as Charles IX. And finally, she made the following declaration. Thor or Finn's talking. (laughs) He's excited. So this is what Catherine said. Since it has pleased God to deprive me of my elder son, I do not mean to abandon myself to despair, but to submit to the divine will and assist and serve the king, my second son, in the feeble measure of my experience. I have decided, therefore, to keep him beside me and to govern the state, as a devoted mother must do. Since I have assumed this duty, I wish all correspondence to be addressed in the first place to me. I shall open it in your presence, and in particular, in that of the King of Navarre, who will occupy the first place in the council as the nearest relative to the king. Such is my will. If any of you wish to speak, let him do so now. Everyone's like, no. (laughs) Hi, Finnan. 
Antoine de Bourbon was the first to confirm the pledge. The rest of the Privy Council followed suit as Catherine knew they would. All of this had already been rehearsed the day before. Oh, shit. So yeah, the previous day, both the Bourbon faction and the Guise faction pledged their loyalty to Catherine and Charles. Present among the Guise faction had been the now-widowed Queen Mary, along with the younger royal children of the household. Wow. On December 21st, 1560, Catherine was officially named the Governor of France and placed at the head of the Regency for King Charles IX. Catherine de Medici had come a long way from being a teenage pawn of a Medici Pope looking to use her to secure an alliance with France. She was no longer a jilted wife, forced to suffer the public insult of her husband and his mistress, nor would she be a passive bystander to the gross abuses of the Guise family. Catherine de Medici was finally the Queen Regent of France, ruling in the name of her son with unprecedented power and an opportunity to solve the ailments of France on her own terms. She is 41 years old. Damn. That's One. insane. Yeah. I, love, I love how much she learned, though. Like, she, yes. she, she didn't just sit there and take it. She learned from yes. everything she, that happened to her. She was the patient observer that just watched everything. That is not the Finnin because he is trying <laughs> to get in the way. I'm going to leave you with one random note as far as this episode goes. Following the death of her husband, Catherine was said to have called on her personal astrologer, Cosmo de Ruggieri, to ask him about the fate of her dynasty. Uh During the meeting, he used a mirror to call on the fates of Catherine's sons. According to the legend, each boy's face appeared in the mirror a number of times to indicate the number of years they would reign. Francis appeared once. Charles Maximilian appeared 14 times. Then her son, Edward Alexander, appeared 15 times. After him, Antoine de Bourbon's son, Henry, the Prince of Navarre, appeared. The message was clear. Should the Valois dynasty die out, the Bourbon dynasty would take its place. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yep. There we go. Part two of Catherine de Medici. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Finnan? Uh, the sources like, I don't care, just pet me. for this episode are Catherine de Medici, the Renaissance Queen of France. You, and... Are you reading that book as you go or have you finished reading? I'm reading it as I go. Okay. In Wikipedia. <laughs> He's so cute. Hi. He's purring so loud. Yeah. So we are halfway through Catherine de Medici. Hell yeah. Crazy. So I don't have to give up Finnan because it's going to be four parts. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Finnan, you're saying. Yeah, probably. I'm like halfway through the book. So. <laughs> Uh, so good news all around (laughs) you were gonna give him up no no i would have just you know pretended like i never made that bet (laughs) i yeah i love how she she it we're gonna have an interesting opinion on her in the next episode but at least up to this point she's been very good about understanding her place and what she is actually capable of accomplishing yeah And due to sheer circumstance, she found herself in a position where she had to act for the sake of her children. It's not that she necessarily wanted power, but if her sons were going to have any chance of um, successfully ruling, she was going to need to step up for them. Yeah. Especially since (laughs) the next one is a child. Yeah. Weird how a nine-year-old can't run a a kingdom. (laughs) shit i at 31 can't run a kingdom so here we are you run your cat kingdom very poorly (laughs) who's in charge me or them i'm not sure 
them definitely definitely them yeah <laughs> babushka yeah babushka is definitely in charge but anya is like definitely the beta because <laughs> anya rules from afar but Anya's like her general and yeah. then like if the general gets out of place then Gemma will come in and, or Anya will or fuck off <laughs> Jasmine will come in and just take her out I feel like Jasmine's the like face of the kingdom like she really she's is. the old queen you don't mess with yeah. but Anya is the angry general of like yeah. don't piss her off yeah and then Finn's just the like sweetheart Finn that is the everyone. fucking rowdy little prince <laughs> no, who just he's does not do it he's so lovable (laughs) he's a monster and his little princess twin over here great well you wanna (laughs) you wanna do our little our random question yeah quick so um our random question is if you could sanction any like weird behavior that's not considered normal and make it normal, what would it be? I'm going to let you go first because I had the answer and I forgot it. (laughs) So mine would be, I think people should just be able to leave a conversation whenever they're done. Fuck yeah. Like, there there are so many times. Just like no excuse, no reason why, no like, hey, I'm going. No little nicety. Yeah, no no little like, well, it was nice seeing you again. Just like, if the conversation dies, you should just be able to be like, peace. Yeah, just like, take yourself from the situation and just be like, I'm done. I feel like you shouldn't have to go to the situation in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how many times I wish I could do that at work? Like, I don't know what it is about me, but like everyone feels the need to talk to me and not for, for a short. So Finn fucked the recording. <laughs> so as I was saying, he cut you off. He did. He's like, fuck your conversation. I'm done. He's like, I need you don't food. want to have a conversation. Okay. Yeah. I can help you with yeah. that. Finn is my conversation. Stop. Come here, buddy. I as I was know. saying, like people at work, like they come up to me and they talk to me and it's not like a short, quick, like, Hey, how's it going? Great. Okay. Bye. Like, it's like a, let me tell you about my life. And I'm like, I don't care. And it's the people who like, don't take the hand. Like I will full on turn away from them and type on my computer and not even give them a ha. Okay, sure. I'm not listening. I'm working. And they still keep talking. I turn around. I'm like, you're still there. You know, you can just be like, Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm really busy. Right. Yeah. Or you can just exit the conversation. I exit the conversation by turning around. That's awkward though because you're at your desk and can't go. Yeah, anywhere. I can't. There's no escape. Usually for me, I'm gonna sick Thor on him now. Get him with love. It used to back when we were in the office. Um, I would like have random conversations with people in the break room, and sometimes like there was a lull because the conversation had ended. But if I'm socially awkward and the other person's socially awkward, we yeah. would both stare at each other. And there would be times where I would just be like, I would literally just turn and leave. Yeah, I've done that before too. It's pretty great. I had I had one of my old coworkers like say that he was like, You literally just left the conversation. You didn't even say goodbye. And I was like, Was there anything else to say? Did I was it mandatory to say goodbye? Because I was gonna see you in five minutes. So that's that would be my um awkward thing to sanction as being socially acceptable. It's just a conversation is done, just leave. Just leave. Be like, bye, bitch. What about you? I don't remember what mine was, and it's driving me insane. You were so excited, too. I know. Shit. (laughs) I don't remember what it was. And my brain's not working, so. You just be able to yell at people? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I yell at people all the time. 
cut people off in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> terrifying drive with you oh fuck <laughs> off i don't cut people off i make a lane change it's not my fault they're like let me speed up because their blinker turned on like fuck you you just cut yourself off <laughs> i'm not that that's how that works i don't that's know that that, that would uphold 100%. legally in court. because i will scream about it oh i think it should be socially acceptable to bring your animals to work that would be nice yeah i've thought about that yeah i mean i get to bring mine but yeah it's allowed because He's, you bring all your cats. He literally. Oh my god! Can you, bring you imagine my? Cats. Yeah, but can you imagine my little cubicle with five cats and a dog? Shit. <laughs> I like that. I concur yeah. and agree yeah. that it should be socially acceptable to bring your pets to work. <laughs> I think all of mine would be very violent. Like it should be socially acceptable to like stab someone when they annoy you too much. No. Yeah. See, that's, that's dangerous. Why? <laughs> No, that it was is so called funny. you need anger management. It was so funny at work. One of my coworkers, he he and I are friends, but he like drives me crazy, and he knows he does, and he listens to this, so he'll know. Do I know? Hello, was it the, the you've met him? Said. Okay, yeah. hi, hi. I remember you. <laughs> but no, we had tacos. He, he like doesn't know when to stop, and like he thinks it's funny when he's one of those who thinks it's funny when you get mad, and I'm just like, I'm gonna stab you. So I literally like that's my thing. I always tell him like, I'm gonna fucking stab you if you don't leave me right now, and I guess I said it really loud. At work on Thursday because my well, boss called be careful. me. My boss called me. She goes, "Hey, cat, maybe don't threaten to stab people so loud." And I'm like, "No yeah, shit." Especially <laughs> considering where you work. Yeah, everyone knows me though, so it's not. It's I know, not but you're gonna say it one time at a place when you should not say it, and somebody's gonna misinterpret it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, we do not recommend that you just no, stab. Don't people. stab people. It's not socially acceptable. But if you. Yet. <laughs> If you want to just exit a conversation without saying goodbye, like, yeah, Yeah. why not? Yeah. (laughs) See what happens. Seriously. I wish it was socially acceptable. Or I guess people, I wish people accepted when I said, I just don't want to go to places. Like, they're like, let's go here. And I'm like, no. And they're like, why not? I was like, because I don't want to. (laughs) You're, you're, okay. So in that situation, you could say, I am. Um, this is a boundary. Yeah. I don't want to go. Please No, I literally, it. I literally just told them, yeah. I don't want to go. Yeah. And then it's also a thing where it's that like. That should be more you, socially accepted. You know, when I sent you a thing where it's like, <laughs> the day came for the plans and the chick's like trying yes. to figure out how to not go. <laughs> I was a different person then. I was happier <laughs> and more positive. And today happened. And I just. I've been on go. both sides of that. And I really like truly learned in these past six months to not take it personally. If somebody. Yeah cancels yeah. because we all i've been there say, if you're my friend you've had plenty of test runs <laughs> yeah i mean same with me yeah. so yeah we need to be more accepting when our friends need to cancel because it it may yeah. be a mental health thing and it's they just need personal. time to themselves yeah, yeah. It's not that's personal. it's hard like maybe if they cancel all the fucking time maybe yes. start thinking about it but... i think i've told you that i've been like yeah. yeah of course you can cancel just don't make you know don't uh, make it a thing <laughs> a- egregious habit yeah because then you know you cancel enough times you're gonna lose friends but see on the flip side i'm also that person where like i really want to cancel but if someone talks me into it i'll go yeah and then i'll have the best time ever but it's like getting there there's needing a bit of a push yeah which that's kind of like really that's learning the boundaries of your friendship you can usually i can usually tell with you like yeah. she needs a little bit of a push and then there's other times i'm like no she needs space she's literally already in her shell yeah <laughs> but that's yeah. what conversations are for so how weird have them communication your you're telling me that's important yeah i'm, I'm trying to learn it myself uh, i'm actually really good at communication 
You are. I, I will say that. It's a little aggressive at times, but yeah, I'm like yeah. almost too good at communicating. No, it's, 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 it's helped me communicate yeah. better. So yeah. 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 Anyway, this has been therapy tree house. You have been listening to difficult damsels. Difficult. You, you put like a weird uh, difficult, e. uh, difficult damsels. <laughs> um, you can reach us. And if you have suggestions for podcast episode topics, we or are questions at the end. Yes. We would love to hear them. Ideas. Oh yeah. Like random questions. Yeah. yeah. You can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Difficult Damsels, the podcast. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Stay difficult. That was actually good. (laughs) I was actually impressed with that. Yeah, stay difficult. (laughs) You ruined it. I ruined everything. It's fine.